This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Craig Kopp, asking, what was the secret word at CPAC? Woke government-run schools. Woke government-run healthcare. Woke government-run media. Woke government-run everything. If you guessed woke, you'll want to stick around for highlights of Florida U.S. Senator Rick Scott's CPAC speech. Oh, yeah, Donald Trump spoke, too. All the hits, including a tease for a 2024 run, were included in the ex-president's 90-minute CPAC speech. We did it twice, and we'll do it again. Maps. The House has a new map and a backup, just in case. I think I understand the words. When you say perform, you don't mean, and go ahead and correct me. Or you will. You don't mean it will have the same result. We'll let you hear about the amazing performing maps. The Florida assisted living industry applauds the signing of legislation extending COVID liability protections and remembers living through the height of the pandemic. Yeah, we were building the bicycle while we were riding it and having to adjust on the fly and Sunrise talks with representatives of the Florida Senior Living Association. And we get to say poop, manatee poop, and it's good news. But first, the Conservative Political Action Conference held its annual affair in Orlando, and the Floridians who got a shot at the podium included Governor Ron DeSantis, U.S. Senator Marco Rubio, and U.S. Senator Rick Scott. On Saturday, Scott got a chance to test drive his 11-point plan to rescue America. Rescue America from what? The left. Here's what they're trying to destroy. American history, patriotism, border security, gender, traditional morality, capitalism, fiscal responsibility, opportunity, rugged individualism, Judeo-Christian values, free speech, law enforcement, religious liberty, parental involvement in schools, and even private ownership of firearms. The woke left wants all of that gone. They want to end the American experiment. They want to replace freedom with control. The elites and the government are telling us what we can and cannot believe, what we can think, and what we can do. They absolutely want to control our lives. Woke government-run schools, woke government-run healthcare, woke government-run media, woke government-run everything. In their new socialist America, everyone will obey and no one will be allowed to complain. If you do speak up, boom, you will be canceled. Your views, if they don't conform to Big Tech, Fauci, or Neil Young, you know, you're gonna be, you're gonna be kicked off of Spotify, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. The militant left are the modern day version of book burners. Yeah. Canceling, silence, and banning from the internet is book burning. 
Less surprised at the book-burning remark, more surprised at the Neil Young name drop. Now, you heard the word woke there. You heard it a lot in Scott's CPAC speech. And that's because Scott sees the woke left everywhere. The woke left now controls the Democrat Party, the entire federal government, the news media, academia, big tech, Hollywood, most corporate boardrooms, and now even some of our top military leaders. They're working to redefine America, silence their opponents, and that means you. They're destroying just about everything they touch, and they've got their hands on everything. Scott's 11-point plan calls for everything from required standing for the Pledge of Allegiance to erasing progress made on sexual identity and a ban on all abortion. The plan got some positive response from the uber-conservative CPAC crowd, but what really was a hit was a return to the good old days of Donald Trump's reign. Nations have borders. We will secure our border, we'll build the damn wall, and when we do, we'll name it after President Donald J. Trump. Thanks for the segue, Senator. Former President Donald Trump was the big speaker at CPAC, of course. For 90 minutes, Trump regaled the crowd with tales of grievance against, you remember this, the Washington Swamp. The Washington Swamp knows that we are coming to break their grip on power forever. That is why they are so desperate to stop us. They will go to any lengths. And that is why the corrupt Democrat prosecutors, an unconstitutional, unselect committee on January 6th, the unselect committee. Can you imagine a committee made of these thugs? They hate us all. Is there ever been a committee like this? The unselect committee. I think that was my term. I think I came up with it first. I'm very proud of many of our terms. But they're continuing their evil and demented persecution of me, my family, my staff, my supporters, and you. It's the same witch hunt that's been going on since day one, since actually the day that I came down the escalator with our great future First Lady. What everybody was listening for, though, was a tip about the future. Is Trump going to run in 2024 or not? They're going to find out the hard way starting on November 8th, and then again even more so on November 2024. They will find out like never before. We did it twice. And we'll do it again. We're going to be doing it again a third time. Here's what the CPAC crowd thinks. Its annual straw poll shows 59% of CPAC attendees favor Trump in the upcoming Republican presidential primary. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis collected the second most votes, 28%. Without Trump on the list, DeSantis was tops in favorability at 61%. 
To no one's surprise, 99% of CPAC attendees disapprove of President Joe Biden's leadership, but they do believe Biden will be the Democratic Party's presidential candidate in 2024. The majority of CPAC attendees also believe that former Secretary of State and presidential contender Hillary Clinton will run again in 2024. We are coming down to the wire in Florida's 2022 legislative session, and the two big projects, a budget and redistricting, are still under construction. The House has come up with a couple of new maps appearing to address the concerns of Governor Ron DeSantis. DeSantis has offered up a couple of maps of his own, redrawing the 5th Congressional District, the one a court drew up the last time. It stretches from Tallahassee to Jacksonville, currently held by African-American Al Lawson. One new map does what the governor wants. It redraws the 5th and makes it pretty much in Duval County with a slightly reduced black voting population. But redistricting committee chair Thomas Leake says it still legally performs for minorities. Ranking minority committee member Joseph Geller is not so sure. It doesn't perform as well based on the analysis, but there are some suppositions that are being made about possible trends and how much weakening still allows it to, as the chair calls it, perform. Chair Leak, you're recognized. Okay, but you know, first of all, performance is not an air quote thing. It's an actual part of the law. So the it's district itself, stuff, chair. It's all air the district still performs. There, you, you know, when you redraw districts, necessarily, they're going to change. I mean, that happens with it, with with every redistricting. So necessarily going to change. They're not suppositions. The trends are what the trends are. This district that we have that is now in this primary map, CD5, would still perform. You're recognized. Thank you, Chair. Chairman. I hear you. I think I understand the words. When you say perform, you don't mean, and go ahead and correct me. I'm sure you will. You don't mean it will have the same result. You mean that based on assumptions about things like trends, you think it's likely that it would get to the same place when you say perform, but statistically, it is less likely to get there, but you think it'll get there anyway. Is that basically what you're saying? Chair Leak, you're recognized. Thank you. The ultimate measure is performance. And every time you move a line and you put this neighborhood and that district now, the performance of that district may change. But the ultimate measure is whether the district that is drawn before you performs. This district, under a functional analysis, still performs. Just so you know, the House also is offering up a backup map that pretty much leaves District 5 as is. There's been a lot of COVID-related legislation moving through this 2022 session. Controversial bills include those that would allow nursing homes to reduce certified nursing assistant hours. The industry says that's to better target services during a workforce shortage. Opponents say it's to save money. 
The assisted living industry wants you to know that's not their fight. But there are things state government can do to help them in this post-pandemic world. Sunrise talked with Florida Senior Living Association President and CEO Gail Matillo and VP of Public Policy and Legal Affairs Jason Hand about what the pandemic has taught them. Uh, I would say um, the two biggest things are um, adaptability and flexibility. You know, we've had a lot of changes in the industry in the last few years and the need to um, constantly um, stay vigil, um, pay attention to guidelines and guidance that's coming out from the state and federal level, you know, all in the um, ultimate goal of you know, taking care of our seniors. Um, you know, that, that constant need to monitor and adjust on the fly has been something that our communities have, uh, have learned and um, um, come to really excel at. Yeah, they jumped in, you know, both feet, and I just can't thank them enough for the work that they did. You know, you stop and look at the COVID um, pandemic and, and how it came about, and, and our members, and, and all, I would say all ALFs, they worked very hard to make sure that the residents were safe. So I, I do attribute, you know, the safety aspect to that as well. Any way you could see something like this coming? I mean, none of us could. I, I, I was going back as I was getting ready to do this interview and going through my own mind about uh, not having a clue about how this was going to be handled or, or how it could be handled or what it was. Talking about being light on your feet, uh, it must have been a shock to your systems. Yes, sir, it was. It was, um, you know, we've, we've had a lot of stuff going on before COVID hit. You know, we've had... Um, you know, a workforce shortage that started before then, um, occupancy that drops because of COVID to historic lows. Um, our operations costs went up and you know, our ever-increasing liability insurance costs went up. So, you know, handling all that, um, especially with COVID where, you know, we, we, everybody, um, the government, our industry, every industry, we were, you know, we were building the bicycle while we were riding it and having to adjust on the fly and learning what did and didn't work on the fly. Um, you know, way back in the early beginning, you know, we're very lucky that um, Governor DeSantis put an emphasis on seniors first. So when PPE or supplies were short, they, they focused on getting supplies to senior living communities. And then when the vaccinations came out, one of their focuses was on senior living. And we were very happy to have to be able to partner and have that support to protect our staff and our seniors. Yeah, and we were very lucky, too, to um, have been selected to, to be on those governor's visitation and the vaccine task forces as well. So we did have a lot of input into those decisions that were made. And I will say, you know, our association did not go home. We stayed here at the office. We worked through the emergency management uh, operations center every day. We were there um, making contact with um, those officials so we could you know, receive the most up-to-date information to get it to our members. And over that time um, in 2020, from March through December, we sent out over 100 notices of changes that occurred. So it seems like every day something different was happening. And, you know, you're, you were dealing with a situation, I think sometimes this gets lost in the shuffle. The pandemic hits, I stay in my house. Um, maybe a run to Publix or whatever I could get to um, to keep supplies in. But your industry has a population that is all in one place. You're dealing with a very specific set of circumstances that uh, a pandemic seems to love. You're fighting a different battle than the rest of us. Exactly. It was 24-7. It wasn't something that we could go home, you know, at five o'clock. Uh, 
we we were there 24 7 um right alongside our our members and and alfs that needed us mm-hmm. yes sir that was you know one of the, the advantages and disadvantages is we tried to create these safety bubbles to protect our seniors but we did still have to operate all the time um, we had staff coming and going we had um uh vendors coming and going as well and um, we had residents were always free to to come and go as they as they please as well so we really had to very carefully thread a needle there and that was kind of one of the one of the reasons that we were one of the early supporters of, of looking for some COVID liability protections because we were doing everything we could in our, our best efforts possible but at the same time some of our communities were worried about um you know being able to keep operating you know we couldn't find masks and just so happened one of the promotion fellows that had um, contacted us had a brother-in-law in china so they were able to get us 25,000 masks in a matter of weeks. So we were so excited when we um, we were able to get those masks shipped over here from China for our members because they didn't have masks. They didn't have PPE. They didn't have the necessary things that they needed to protect the staff and the residents at that time. Um, and so we've learned a whole new vocabulary from covid yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, I was just th- sitting here thinking uh, PPP. I wouldn't have known what that was from Adam, and now, <laughs> and now I do. Now there are there's some legislation before the session right now that is calling for some changes and uh, including uh, a, a reduce a reduction in the number of hours for uh, CNAs. That legislation is um, actually relates to. Um to nursing homes, nursing home staffing standards. So luckily that, that's one of the things that, that us and ALFs, those standards um, don't apply to our assisted living facilities. So we, we've been watching it to see how it progresses and you're watching the fight that um, that industry has been going through, working with all the stakeholders um, on that. But, um, you know, it's something we're, we're looking at and learning from. So as our, as our staffing shortage continues, we may, we're, we're looking and seeing how that nursing home world is doing that to see how we can adjust and maybe proceed in the future with our assisted living facility world. Now, I think it's important to, 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 to point this out. This is not about your industry, assisted living. This is about nursing homes. Clarify for us. Oh, Craig, we get that all the time. You know, we're constantly being um, compared to a nursing home. But actually, you know, assisted living providers are not nursing homes. They're not federally regulated. They're regulated by the state. And the Agency for Healthcare Administration is our state regulator, along with the Department of Health. We also um, really provide residents with a social and a hospitality model of care with a wellness overlay. So some of our residents still work, they drive cars, they travel, they enjoy friends at the community, they're constantly getting together for social activities, happy hour, card games, and and just a a lot more things that go on in the community. Also, most of the assisted living providers are private pay. So they don't rely on the government's Medicaid or or Medicare services, um, which is totally different from most of the nursing homes here in the state. What can the state legislature or or the or the governor, besides, you know, helping you with, uh, you know, PPE and such during a pandemic, what can they do for you? We learned that Governor DeSantis signed the um, one of our COVID liability bills. So this is a bill that would extend the COVID liability, um, the, the limitation of um, liability for healthcare providers for, for one more year. Um, you know, this, this was passed last year as part of the COVID package. 
but it was set to expire just next month. So that the legislature recognizing the need for health care providers to, to continue to have this liability for at least temporarily for a little while longer. Um, yeah, they passed the bill and it just got sent to the governor and he signed it just yesterday. So we were so thrilled that the legislature and the governor realized what was going on, realized that nobody wants to protect bad actors. But, you know, with everyone still doing the best they can, we still needed a little more time and a little more support. It must have been hard because there were, you know, you had, as you pointed out, vendors and staff coming in and out. But uh, in a facility like an assisted living facility, uh, people are used to basically, you know, having their freedom and having lots of people come in and see them and that sort of thing. I'm sure I'm sure that was kind of put to a halt during the pandemic. And it must have been a strain on your population. It was. It was very Uh, very bad. And, you know, our communities, they did what they could to help residents and their families see one another. I know there was a community over in Jacksonville, and they moved their resident over to a window. So their daughter, even though she couldn't come into the building, they could open that window and she could hug her mother. Mm -hmm. You know, so they did what they could to make it work. And uh, I just want to, you know, just shout out, you know, thanks to our communities for doing that, because they understood the isolation that these residents were going through. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we've, we've learned very quickly that, and we've always known, you know, visitation, it's important for our seniors and their families. Um, and, yeah, and, that, and that's why our ALS statutes require um, visitation access. And that's why FSLA, we were an early advocate for reopening visitation in the early months of the pandemic. Um, and, you know, Gail, like Gail said, she participated in Governor DeSantis's task force to reopen visitation. And that was a huge thing for you know, our staff, our residents and their families to, you know, to see each other again and get through those, um, you know, the, the mental hurdles that cause. Jason Hand and Gail Matillo of the Florida Senior Living Association. Appreciate your time. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much, Craig. We really appreciate it. Here's some of what's happening in Florida politics today. The House Health and Human Services Committee will consider a bill that seeks to ensure residents of nursing homes, assisted living facilities, and intermediate care facilities for people with developmental disabilities can have visitors. This bill comes after a lot of facilities stopped or limited visitation for periods of time during the COVID-19 pandemic. The Senate Ethics and Elections Committee will hold confirmation hearings for dozens of appointees, including Department of Corrections Secretary Ricky Dixon, Department of Business and Professional Regulation Secretary Melanie Griffin, Department of Environmental Protection Secretary Sean Hamilton, and Department of Management Services Secretary Todd Inman. House Minority Leader Evan Jenny, Representative Fentress Driscoll, and Representative Carlos Guillermo-Smith will hold a media availability this morning. The Senate Appropriations Committee will consider a number of issues, including a bill that will make changes in the property insurance system and address issues like coverage for roof damage claims. The House Appropriations Committee will take up a bill that would make a series of election-related changes, including creating an Office of Election Crimes and Security in the Department of State to investigate alleged fraud and irregularities. The Senate Special Order Calendar Group will set a special order calendar, which will list bills to be heard on the Senate floor. This happens 15 minutes after today's Appropriations Committee meeting. The House Rules Committee will meet this evening to set a special order calendar, which will list bills to be heard on the House floor. 
These committees will also meet the House Commerce Committee, the House Education and Employment Committee, the House Judiciary Committee, and the House State Affairs Committee. Also today, Governor Ron DeSantis has ordered that flags be flown at half-staff to honor former state lawmaker Dick Rennick, who died January 31st at the age of 91. Rennick represented Miami-Dade County in the House from 1966 to 1972 and served in the Senate from 1974 to 1978 and 1980 to 1982. DeSantis ordered flags be flown at half-staff from sunrise to sunset at the state capitol, the Miami-Dade County Courthouse, and Miami City Hall. The South Florida Regional Planning Council is scheduled to meet today. The Florida Insurance Guarantee Association Board of Directors will meet, and the Polk State College Board of Trustees will meet this afternoon in Lakeland. And finally, it's kind of a Beavis and Butthead moment when you get to say poop in a podcast. I understand that. But this is kind of important. You probably know that manatees have been starving in disturbing numbers because algae blooms have been killing off seagrass in their feeding grounds. To help the situation, biologists have been dumping lettuce where the manatees hang in hopes that they'll eat that. 63,000 pounds of lettuce have been distributed. So here is where poop becomes good news. It looks like the manatees are eating that lettuce because, reports tcpalm.com, teams have started finding more manatee poop floating in the water. Manatees take seven days to fully digest their food, and the poop started showing up in the water about that long after the lettuce feeding began. Fun fact. Average manatee fecal matter comes out in a compressed, cylindrical-shaped pellet roughly the size of what a medium dog might drop on your front lawn. Now you know. That's it for today's edition of Sunrise. I'm Craig Kopp. Join us again tomorrow as we do another daily dive into Florida politics.